Welcome to the Coaching Badgers podcast and a look back on some of the highlights from Series 1. Uh, joining me on the show, as usual, my co-host Mark Anderson and usual contributors Paul, Willie and Mick. Great to have you on, lads. We hope you've enjoyed the last six months of, of the pod. We certainly have. Um, so without further ado, let's crack on. So, lads, we're, we're after getting to the end of episode 10, which is great in itself. We've been we've been listening to in over 50 countries and, and 600 cities, which is mental. So we thought we'd just wrap up season one with a little look back on, on some of the highlights from season one. So we, we'll kick off with the coaching topics. And um, we got some good feedback from the coaching topics from lots of different people. But like, can I ask you then, in terms of yourselves, like what were the what were the key kind of highlights from the coaching topics for yourselves? Say with episode one, I think it was about starting out. What did you think about that? Yeah, I, I found what interesting was the lads, um, particularly Willie and, and Paul, were said that defending, coaching defending was more difficult. They found it more difficult than coaching and attacking topic. And you know, the points they made were very good. I always found that the, the attacking topics were much more difficult to coach because you were dealing with a lot of players using their imagination and improvisation. But when they're making the point of when you're coaching defending, players are kind of standing around and they don't they don't really buy into it as much as the, the attacking topics. So, I mean that that was something I found interesting, you know, because I'd never really thought about it to be honest. I, I thought that was interesting because funny I, and again with, with my old defender head on, I would find coaching defending easier. Now I get the point that players can find it boring and it is quite structured, but I certainly, from a coaching point of view, would find it easier because I think you can you can make it a lot more structured and follow the numbers. Whereas attacking, you, you're trying to get that creativity and that unknown elements out. Um, so yeah, that, that, I thought that was really interesting. And I can I just say I cannot believe we got through series one without a coaching topic on defending. The so, Willie, we need to sort that out for season two for sure. No, listen on defending. I suppose that's the, sort of the point that I was making. And it, it can be quite boring and it can be quite rigid. But then again, you know, attacking can be when you're doing a topic on attacking, it can be quite structured too, up until maybe the final third. But I've just always found that for whatever reason, players just bob much more into attacking sessions than what they do defending sessions, even though you, you think that defending will be easier because you know what you need to do. Whereas, like you say, attacking, there's, a, there's much more flow and creativity needed. But I always just found attacking sessions easier, which is sort of bad because I was a defender out and out. So, yeah, I was just going to well, say that. Isn't it interesting that we're in this group where we're loaded with defenders and they're the ones that they don't like coaching defending? <laughs> No, I do, Mark. I, I'm getting a T-shirt that says "I love defending." <laughs> that's the default. We're good enough to be attackers. Uh, <laughs> that's the truth, though. That is true. That is very true. And I, I go back the pitch. Take everybody starts in midfield and gradually move it backwards. <laughs> my my first fast, game, you go forward. Yeah, my first yeah. game in the League of Ireland was as a left winger, Paul. So that's a great <laughs> <point. Yeah. laughs> Jesus it Christ! It lasted, it lasted about oh, twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So look, um, then okay. So episode two, uh, we went on and we had a little chat about session planning. And what was interesting for me was so the feedback we got was some people don't do any session planning. They have a load of info in their head and they go and they deliver stuff kind of at will, depending on what they feel they need. And then right at the other end of that spectrum, you had people who literally map out, you know, macro cycles of weeks on end and, and really are clear about what they're going to deliver. And then I think I would sit certainly somewhere in the middle where you have a season plan. And you work in blocks, but there's a little bit of flexibility built into those blocks to react to stuff if needed. So I, I thought that was interesting personally, but I'm just looking to get, you know, what were your own key takeaways on, on session planning? Yeah, I, I think it's it's vital to have some kind of plan. And the more simplified, the better, because yeah. difficult, difficult plans and very technical plans are difficult to follow. So make it as simple as you can. If, if you don't have a plan, you, yes, you have all the information in your head, but you're, you're going to miss certain topics and certain aspects of, of um, coaching a technique or, or coaching something you're going to miss out on it where you have to plan it's there oh yes we have to go this we have to we have to reiterate this we have to show examples of this we have to explain this so i i think it's it's you're you're going to be more more effective as a coach with some some kind of plan I think it was interesting that we all agreed that you had to have some kind of structure and that was what well, session plans really, really help, but not to get too hung up on if it wasn't working out. Yeah. And having that flexibility to be able to adapt and in the, in the modern age of the internet where everybody is downloading the latest drill for this, but that the session plan was there to help you to make sure it was specific to what you needed to work from, whether it was something that you've identified in training or in a game. 
and, and it wasn't just a jump from one thing to another. It's, there should be that kind of flow over the over the time. I think um, as well, if you don't have a session plan, players see through that as well. Yeah, players notice that because you're staggering from one drill to the next drill, and it's just slow. There's no fluid. No, and players see that, and they don't respect it probably as much then if you're yeah, they see off the cuff. Hundred percent away going in. Yeah, no. Just, sorry, Mick. I was just going to say there. Like the one thing I used to absolutely hate as a player, and actually as a coach, is when there's no flow going from one like exercise into the other. So you're going from your 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 pre warm up into your warm up into your pass into your rounds, and everything's laid out and structured. You know exactly what you're doing. Players have to see that because it just it breeds sort of confidence that you know what you're doing, and then the players know. Yeah, just, listen, this is going to be a good session. Do you know sort of way. So if you if you're mm-hmm. taking five minutes to go from one exercise to another. Players just lose interest rapidly. Yeah, yeah you lose the flow. All right, yeah. Good point. Well, you mentioned their warm-up, and interestingly, that was our, our coaching topic for episode three. Um, so what were your kind of key highlights from that? I tell you, I, I learned a lot from it. Actually, there's no two warm-ups that are the same, really. Like, yeah. different coaches have different ideas, and there's different time lengths on it. And I tell you, Paul made a brilliant point as well that, you know, warm-ups before, like, there's different warm-ups for different training sessions, depending on what you're doing. And then actually that, your match warm-ups are always different to your training warm-ups. Yeah. And that another thing that I took from it as well is that like, and it's so, so true, is that you can't look too much into a match warm-up and how lads are performing because it just does not, it's not a key indicator on what way the game's going to go. So they were just some of the, the key points that I took from the warm-ups. That's a great point. It's probably the most frustrating thing for me over the years is, you know, you try with your best informed guests to say how the players are going to be looking at them in the warm-up. And sometimes it's totally different to what you think. Sometimes it's exactly what you think. And I just can't put my finger on why it can be so different doing the same kind of things, you know. That was it. really interesting. Yeah, and something else actually as well is that in the warm-ups as well, from, I, I looked at different studies and stuff like that, and it's just to re-emphasise the point, is that like, you know, dyna- I just it's just on stretching about dynamic versus static, that like dynamic stretching should be used more throughout a warm-up and then static stretching sort of more so for after at the end of a training session and then the day afterwards as well. And each stretch, then you sort of hold them for anywhere between 30 and 40 seconds. That's what's recommended in the latest studies. So just for anyone that's wondering. Great. And now it's on episode four, lads. Yeah, just on warm-ups there. Oh, sorry, episode three. My mistake. We're still on episode three. Yeah, just on the warm-ups there as well. Maybe in the younger age groups, when you're starting out doing warm-ups with your team, um, it's probably a bit of trial and error at the start as well, just to see what your players like, what they take on board, how it works for them and what it takes into a match. You know what I mean? It just... It can be different for every age group, I suppose, but just to find out what works for your team and find out that solution, then maybe take that in and take it on for it, bring it, build it, keep building and building and take I, it in the game. Funny, Paul, that, that, I listened back to some of the episodes and actually all the episodes, that came true loud and clear a lot with lots of things. Just experiment. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid to try things and, and get it wrong and get it right and keep picking the bits that work, but don't be afraid to mix it up. So, yeah, I, I think that's great advice for anything we're doing or talking about in terms of coaching. What else came through as well through the episode is the difference between the small-sided schoolboy and the so-called elite game or the senior game. Yeah. They, they are three different games, and so your warm-ups will be different, and everything you do will be different. So I think that came through, which was good as well. No, really good show. So look, we moved on to episode four. We got into talking about, about the kind of technical side of the game. You know, you call it ball mastery, technical ability, uh, whatever you want. But what were your kind of key highlights from that, lads? Well, for me, I think we, we kind of said players and coaches didn't really respect it enough in, in, in our culture and the Irish culture. Yeah. And hopefully that's changing. And I, I was speaking with two lads yesterday who were uh, doing a season plan for, for the coming season. And they're moving from uh, five-a-side game to the seven-a-side game. And they just wanted a basic structure on a, on a plan. And they were showing me what, what they do at present. And every session before training and before game, they do five minutes ball mastery. I was, I was blown away by the quality. They video, but it's absolutely, it's incredible. It really is. And the majority of the players are up to the competence level of the, the two players that, that were in the video. And that's five, ten minutes every, religiously, they do it and they give it to them as homework. So, you know, we can change. We can change the, the culture. I, I was really, really impressed with the, the quality of them players uh, with, with the ball at their feet. You, you can't that, do enough of it. The basics, isn't ah, it? it absolutely. Respect the basics. And that's, that's one thing that's even that we've, in all the topics and everybody, that, and even some of our guests touched on it, that, you know, you have to respect the basics and what got you to wear and that you can't just deviate away from them and revisit them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, good, good point, lads. 
Um, so moving on, we we one of my favorite episodes in terms of coaching topic. Uh, we chatted in episode five about rondos, and and we could talk about rondos all day. But what were your your kind of key takeaways from rondos? Well, I think everybody seems to have, rondo seems to be a favorite topic. You know, it's um it's got more and more now since the Spanish kind of Barcelona esque has brought it more to the fore now, I suppose. But um, they can be used as fun activity at the start of sessions as well. You know, London players get have a bit of crack, especially when they all nutmeg and. Players get very excited about a nutmeg still these days. But then when you go into the more serious drills, they're used there and used for a way to pass, decision-making, body shape. There's loads of different variations. But then in that episode, Mick made a great point for the dimensions in the rondos, the five-pass rule. That was a brilliant way of gauging the size of the area you want to work in. With people who didn't hear it, it was five passes. You can get five passes. The area probably is big enough. Five passes or more. It was less than five passes after a couple of attempts. Maybe make the area a little bit bigger. But obviously, if they're getting 30 and 40 passes, it's way too big, you know? So just reduce the size of the area then. Yeah, it's a good shape. I think that was one of the coaching topics that could have became a whole <laughs> a whole podcast on its own. It was it was brilliant. And again, you could talk about that again. I'm sure we will revisit that. So we'll move on. Episode six, the goalkeepers started to get a mention. So what were our key takeaways from, from episode six, lads? For me, it was about goalkeepers. Yeah, and for me, it was I was surprised that we actually did this topic. Poor <laughs> <laughs> keepers get an awful time. We, I love our keepers. <laughs> yeah, I know in small doses. Yeah, but no, no, I'm only messing. I'm only messing. No, I, I think the big thing was that they should be involved in the session. We yeah. all touched on that. Like that, it's easy to go listen, God, do your own warm up, and you go and practice on each other. And we also spoke about, especially in the small side of all, where you may only have one goalkeeper that um, they can be feel very isolated, so they have to be involved in the session. That whatever you do with them has to be <coughs> touch on, be more realistic to the game, as opposed to just be a set of drills that, um, you know, when it actually comes into the game and how we play, have very little relevance in how you want to play. Um, footwork, myself and William spoke about, we had worked with a keeper before who was in, in all our sessions, he was as good uh, as, we, as some of our outfield players. Um, and especially if that's how you want to play. So technically they needed the good, so they needed to work on their footwork with the ball just as much as the players. And also we did touch on, which, which I thought was really good actually, about their mindset, that that position that they play, they're more prone to self-confidence and doubt if something goes against them than some of the other players where they've got other people around them, that that needs to be factored in and how you do that. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting topic actually. Yeah, it's good. I'd, I'd still like to get an actual goalkeeping coach on. So hopefully we'll look at doing something like that in season two. And uh, Because when you do speak to goalkeepers, they do see the game through a different lens yeah, so it'd be interesting to do that. It was, it was interesting as well, Gav. Sorry, the the amount of goalkeepers that actually started as a goalkeeper, probably in their teens, like and, and so yeah. that there isn't quite there isn't too many who would start off and say when they were start playing football six seven and they carried all the way through. A good few of them, the most of them anyway, got in touch with me were say thirteen fourteen just decided that ah, we'll try this. And, and and grew to to uh, love it in their in their in their formative years rather than their 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 early years. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. A bit like what Paul said there about the defenders earlier. It's good to see that kids should experience lots of different positions, and you kind of do eventually gravitate to the position that suits you. You know, I mean, if you if you're guided that way, um, I think that helps. Um, so look, we moved on to episode seven. We we had Stillian Petrov and Gard Farley on, so we didn't actually have a coaching topic. So then in episode eight, uh, we chatted about attacking. Uh, and I thought that was a really good chat, actually. So what were the, the kind of things that struck you from that episode? Attacking is probably the most enjoyable for the players. You know, it's um, it's purely because there's an end product, the goal. Players are more enthusiastic. They seem for the attacking, coaching rather than defenders, as we just touched on, defenders standing around. Especially when you're doing the attacking, it's got to be fairly materialistic. You can't just have players lined up at the edge of the box, just banging balls everywhere. Make it realistic. Lots of different variations. Encourage players to be creative and experiment a little, you know. Don't restrain them. Let them use their imagination. The goal never moves, as they say. So just get them practicing hitting corners. And we were saying if you haven't got full-size goals, just use posts or whatever. Just use poles, cones, whatever you've got. Targets. It's basically just targets. Repetition, repetition. But um, yeah, that's pretty much all the attacking. Yeah, it's a good advice. It's interesting you say there about attacking. If you watch a session, generally speaking, you'll hear the players more engaged and and more excited when it's attacking. And yeah, I I don't I don't often see that when it's defending players. You know, yeah, celebrating defending. But uh, yeah, interesting point, Paul. Anything else on the attacking boys? I think we made the point about the the importance of goals when you're working and attacking because basically all attacking is to try and end up with a with a shot on goal or, or to score a goal. 
Yeah. And the, the difference it does if you if you have the some sort of goal anyway or some sort of target, you know, with, with a goalkeeper as well, it just makes it all the more, more, more realistic and more enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good stuff. So carrying on then, lads, episode nine, and uh, we touched on one of Willie's favourites, transitions. And uh, what were the kind of things that, that struck us from that episode? Yeah, for me, Mick, Mick sort of summarised it great. Basically, what is a transition and reacting to losing or winning the ball? It's as simple as that. What else did I think? I tell you, another thing that was great was that it has to be age and level appropriate, you know, when you talk about transitions. And speaking of talking about transitions, Mick made a great point as well. When you're dealing with younger players, don't use the word transitions for younger players. And Gav, you yourself made some really good points too on, on transitions. So you said basically that like, transitions only last sort of three to four seconds max. And the higher the level, the quicker the transitions are. But transition to the attack or transitions to the defend doesn't necessarily mean so. We spoke about on transition to defend if you lose the ball, that, you know, there's no point in one player individually going to press the ball. It has to be done in units. So the decision might not always be, you don't always have to go and win the ball back automatically. You might just decide in those three or four seconds to maybe get back into your team shape, get compact and let the opposition have the ball. So transitions don't always mean, you know, pressing the ball or as soon as you win the ball back you know, break it forth to try to score a goal. It could be around game management. So I thought there was, there was a lot of brilliant points made in it. Well, I think we all agreed as well that transitions are definitely the two hardest functions to coach overall because there's so many of them and they're all in different areas of the pitch. There's no two that are the same, really. Yeah. So it's sort of getting the players to buy into it as well, no matter what level you're on. So, no, listen, I love that topic, but it's a tough one as well, isn't it? Yeah, the point, the point about it being hard, difficult to coach is, is very valid, really. And uh, I think that's why we reiterated in the podcast that like, when when you're coaching young players about transition, not to use the word, and yeah. uh, like I mean to to coach them effectively for the transitions later on as they go. We we spoke about ball contact, quick change of direction with um without the ball, passing and shooting while while running at speed, and games where there's a specific target or a, a, an area to run to or shoot to or dribble to when you've you've won the ball. Uh, because it should be at that age, it should be about developing them and giving them those attributes that will help them to transition well as they go through their, their football career, a football journey. Yeah, really good info. We went on then, guys, to episode 10 and we closed out the series chatting about set pieces. And I, I enjoyed this chat um, for a couple of reasons. One, just to hear different opinions on, you know, what people consider them to be and, and their importance and how and when to, to coach them or not coach them. And it, I, I like talking about that because I don't think we do enough. There's such opportunities in set pieces to get that first move advantage on the opposition because in the initial seconds of the set piece, you know what you're trying to do. The opposition are reacting. So, you know, I, I think it's important we do more of that kind of work. And, and again, back to the respect, the basics points, the likes of throw-ins. We give the ball away so much from throw-ins. We shouldn't. You should never give the ball away from throw-in. So I, I think what, what struck me was the kind of emergence of more specialist coaches I know Paul talked about Arsenal employing a set-piece guy. Uh, Liverpool, I think, have a throwing specialist. England, I think, brought a guy to the World Cup to concentrate on corners. And I think you'll see more and more of that kind of stuff happening. But I, I just enjoyed that chat because I think it's an area of the game that can evolve and can improve even more than it currently is. And I, and I think good coaches will be at the forefront of that and trying to and trying to push the boundaries on what you can or should expect from a set-piece. Yeah, spot on. I think we've talked about, like, with the game becoming more data driven, um, and if you look at if you look at some of the sports in America where they're all about uh, specific coaches for spe- specific parts of the game, I think it's something that um, like if when teams are coming up for a game of the weekend, especially at the highest level, if data is driven around corners and opportunities, I just think you're going to see more and more of that specialist coaching in those areas. Yeah, I hope so. I would agree with that, Mark. All right, lads. So that, that was the coaching topics for series one. Lots of good stuff covered. And even even reviewing it there, what's coming out loud and clear for me is just make sure that it's age appropriate, that you build up the pressure and intensity in terms of how you deliver a session. You understand the level your players are playing at in terms of setting expectation and encourage them to use both feet. Encourage experimentation. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and, and change your sessions to get it right. Get feedback from your players, your coaches. And so regardless of the, the teams you're working with or the levels you're at, th- those messages ring through. So whether it's under fives or fives going to seven aside or senior pros at 11 aside, a lot of the takeaways are, are similar. It's just the intensity and maybe the duration and, and the pressure that you build into the, 
the activities that make them that make them more complex. So, all right, lads, excellent. So then, look over the course of the the ten episodes. We we had some fantastic guests on the show, so it'd be remiss of us not to talk about our guests. So uh, we we kicked off season one uh, with Mick Brown, and if I'm honest, I, I remember there was a little bit of reluctance for Mick initially to kick off the podcast because none of us really knew what we were doing, none of us knew what to expect. And Mick had said to me, "Look, I'll I'll maybe come on." three or four episodes in when we all have a better understanding of what we're at. Um, but in my own head, I was adamant. I just wanted Mick on the first one because all the stuff that then subsequently came out, you know, rang true to what I expected. And it was all about just getting good, solid information, common sense information based on practical application, based on years of experience. And, and that for me was, was the key highlight of episode one, Mick. So uh, I know. Well, it certainly got me out of my comfort zone. Gav. That's that's been honest because I think you think you know me well enough now. I, I I really don't like talking about myself. I'd rather talk about other things. Well, look, but it couldn't it couldn't for me. It couldn't have worked out any better, Mick. We were all out of our comfort zone, and and when I look back on episode one, we we did make some you know mistakes and stuff. But you know what? It was great crack doing it. And and there was an appetite from all of us after doing one episode just to say, yeah, you know what? There's something in this. It, it is good just to chat about football with decent people. So no, I have to say, for me, episode one was a key highlight from the whole series. It gave us all the confidence to go, yeah, th- we can do this, and and we can kick on and 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 you know get something out of this for ourselves because I've learned so much from the ten episodes, and it's a bonus that other people are are getting in touch with us to say that they're enjoying it. So yeah, no, that for me, episode one, Mick, was absolutely great. Uh, episode two, where we moved on and we had our good friend Ray Power on. So what were the, the key takeaways from, from Ray's chat? Well, obviously, we, we'd, we'd met Ray. We, we'd got him doing some work in the in our club uh, a couple of years back. So um, it, it was a nice, easy, easy chat with Ray. The interesting thing for me was I remember him talking about Dick Bate. Now, Dick Bate, Ray described him as the most, the best known, unknown coach. Now, He's, he's unfortunately passed away now, but his his legacy lives on in his YouTube um, coaching videos. And I, I think I've said it to you all before. There's there's one in particular. It's a masterclass in defending at George's Park. It's about twenty minutes, and I recommend any coach of eleven side to to uh, have a look at it. The level of detail he goes into as regards players' decision and when to push up and when to drop off and the triggers is incredible. And I'm not surprised that Ray told a story that after a long hour, uh, long day, 11 hour day on a A license course in the UK, he just was fit to fit for bed. Uh, Dick Bay came in and spoke for another two hours and he could have listened to him all night. So he, 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 the man was a legend and I'd recommend anybody involved in 11 side to have a look at some of his, uh, his videos, his coaching videos. It's incredible. Really is the level yeah. of deed. Good shout. I watched that actually. It was very, very good. I loved the whole trigger piece about, you know, when and where and what to react off. So, yeah, well, we're checking out. I was really interested in Ray's interview, his um, his journey in coaching um, and how he's gone there. With the, and I mean, this very respectful, the less glamorous uh, route to, 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 to make that effect and have that, uh, have that journey. So that was very interesting listening to it. Yeah, and he's gone on to pastures new now. He started his new gig, which is great to see, and uh, seems to be going well for him. So yeah, raise somebody. Yeah, we'll, it seems to we'll be keep everybody who's a guest moves on to new things. <laughs> Speaking of which, in episode three, um, we talked to Will Clark, who at the time was in a different role to the one he's he's recently taken up a new head of academy role at the FAI, and it's it's great to see that. And we wish Will uh, all the best with that. So what were the, the key takeaways from, from chatting to, to Will? Yeah, well, I think this podcast is getting a reputation as being kingmakers for the likes of um, <laughs> Will, Will and Ray Power. Um, two of them have gone on to bigger and better things and good luck to both of them. Uh, Will's, Will's knowledge on, on schoolboy football in Ireland particularly is, is unsurpassed and he, he, he's rightly done very well to get this job. But him reiterating a point that we had always made about the under-19s and what happens to our under 19s in this country? It's a, it's a shame. And, and him recognizing that and, and believing that. And hopefully now he's in a position where he, he can do something and no pressure will that, that gap between the under 19s when they finish and senior football has got to be addressed. We're losing way, way too many players and too many talented players and too many potential internationals and too many top players to uh for for this to be uh just to be ignored as it is yeah i I do hope we see some change there and and it's 
we've certainly discussed it at length. There's, there are different options. It's not just about, you know, shoehorning in another league, to like an under-21 or under-23 league. There are other options. Um, but I just hope that something is done. Because you're right, there are young players who are 18, 19, who are very, very good players, but they're just maybe a year or two in terms of their development away from, you know, really competing in, in the Premier First teams, even in First Division First team. So it, I think you're right, Mick, that that's addressed. And, and we try and keep these guys in the game because there are a lot of them dropping out uh, because they're disillusioned if they don't get a pro contract at 18. And, and the reality of it is they're good players. They might be good enough in two or three years' time and get their contract then. But um, sadly, they see some other examples of young players getting pro contracts at clubs and they kind of almost feel that they've failed if they don't get it. So, yeah, I would like to see that addressed. Yeah, it, what's worrying for me, Gav, is the amount of, of um, kids who are getting into trouble after leaving the 19s. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, it, it, it is. It's, it's worrying. It, it's worrying. The, That's football. a great point, Mick. That's a great point. Football gave them a focus, gave them a discipline. And when that's gone, a lot of these kids are lost. Yeah, good show. I think I think that's something we could very well return to, Mick, uh, in Series 2. So, look, moving on, Episode 4, we were delighted to have uh, Dr. Laura Finnegan on. Um, Laura is just always good to talk to, um, very heavily involved in researching football. So I thoroughly enjoy that chat personally. So what were, what were the key highlights for you guys from that? Yeah, she's, she's got a PhD and did a PhD in talent development in Irish football. And I thought it was really, really interesting. And I was even listening back to it there again this morning. So one thing she did was researching five boys in the Irish on the 15 team for over five years and checked stuff like their personal life, family, training, etc. So it was really, really interesting. But some of the other things that was very interesting that came out of her topic was specialization. And like, you know, age appropriate for specialization and when should you do one sport, when should you do two sports and basically the pros and cons around both. And, you know, how she thought that or how you define success. And then something that she spoke about as well as I thought was really, really interesting was the relative age effect. You know, I, I'd known about it before, but some of the, some of the stats that she came out with and, you know, some of the stuff that she talked about, I thought was really, really interesting and, you know, very, very relevant as well. So no, I thought it was really good. Yeah. And no, that was a great, it was a great chat in fairness. And Laura continues to be at the forefront of lots of good research uh, on the game. So it'll be interesting just to keep an eye on that and see what, what other information we can kind of learn over the coming years. Because it's great, back to your point, Mark, about things been data-driven now. It's good when the information is based on research and data, and it's not just subjective and it's not just opinions. So I think more and more of that stuff will start to become more relevant uh, in the game. But she definitely created a conversation even between the five of us off the pod about um, specialization and when you should do that. Oh, absolutely. And not, and not all of us agree on, on some of the things that have Laura said. Um, I personally do. But, you know, I just think it's, it's great to have those debates. And that's, that's kind of what we wanted off this pod. That, that, like, we don't expect everybody to agree with what we say, but we at least, at least start mm -hmm. that debate that hopefully at the end of it, we'll have a lot more informed, better to yeah. make better choices of. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I would have been um, for specialization really early on when I started off in, uh, in my coaching. And um, I, I now I rethink now it, it's it's not the way to go. Uh, multi sports is the way to, is the way to go, and and, and letting children be children and um, let the talent come through. And the way the multi sports can actually help you in one other sport. So I, I I'm against early specialisation now. I really am. So it, it's the, the likes of her research and people like her have have pointed out some very um, some great things and made some great points. Yeah. I've changed, I've changed again, my again I, th I think that is something we will definitely revisit because there's just so much happening in that space but look uh, moving on um, in episode 5 uh, we had our good mate Graham Kelly on uh, Graham is uh, currently the manager of DLR Waves I had a really interesting chat about that just to get a perspective on, on the women's game so what did we uh, what did we take away from that episode yeah I've known I've known Graham a good few years now true coaching down in Joe's you know and Graham's one of the real good guys out there you know he, just a real nice fella. He's a great coach, and it's his man management skills is probably one of his biggest strengths, you know. But he's um he's great experience through grassroots coaching for many years down in Joe's. Then he went into the League of Ireland underage. Then he went to the men's senior team in Bray, and now he's in the women's with DLR. But he um he, he touched one he touched on a big issue now with women's football is the funding. Same to the massive issue that the lead players playing first team football still haven't the pay their way, which I think is shocking, really. But it's gradually changing. He's saying, but um. Maybe it's not changing quick enough. But the thing, it's looking promising in this country. We're saying a lot of the National League teams are playing in the bigger venues, like Bowes playing in Daily Mount and whatever, the women's team. But um, 
we're still a long way behind the rest of the world, I think, in Ireland here regarding women's football. And he touched on actually Jess Stapleton as well. Yeah. That was around the same time we were interviewing with some of the vile comments, like caveman stuff, really. There's still a lot to improve on in that in the aspect of respecting women's football, no matter who they are. Do you know what I mean? It's it was awful. Some of the abuse, some of the stuff, but there's a lot work to, left to do on that. Yeah, absolutely. Funny, it was sad in some respects that we talked about that a number of times in the first 10 episodes, the abuse to yeah. lots of different people in society and, and, you know, keyboard warriors on social media now thinking that they have free reign just to say and do what they want. So, um, yeah, that that the good point, Paul. But again, I hope we see changes in that. Certainly, I've seen the women's game improve over the last number of years. I hope that continues. And, and having people like Graham involved can only be a good thing. As you said, he's, he's one of the good guys and uh, deal are lucky to have and, him. And also, Gav, just on that now, just recently, I see that watch LOI are going to show the Women's National League games live as well. It's brilliant. There's another bonus as well, you know, so that's going in the right direction. That's progress as well. Yeah, the more exposure for, for the underage games, the actual men's senior game and the women's game, it can only be a good thing. Um, so I'm, I was delighted to see watch LOI come back, actually, because I watched a lot of games on it last year. And I thought in general terms, the production values and all were really good. And it was great just to see football when, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to see it. So, yeah, that's, that was positive. So, look, we, we moved on to episode six and we had a fantastic chat with Conan Byrne all about, you know, lots of things. But education kind of shone through. Um, so what were our kind of takeaways from that episode? Yeah, I absolutely love this chat. No, Conan's been playing against him for years. Like, he's a League of Ireland legend. You know, he played with UCD. Uh, Shells, Sport, Fingal and Pats, as well as playing up the north as well for a while. But he's now going to teach, and then he he was talk he was talking about you know about how many sort of players. So we even like he started off by talking about you know Irish players who go to the UK, less than three percent get a second contract, and pretty much every single one of them come back come back with nothing, with no with no qualifications, no education, nothing, and a lot of them because they consider themselves failures in England are afraid to go back into education when they come back here because they've been out there for, for so long. And uh, just some of the stats that he came out with as well, he, like even, you know, one of the most recent um, sort of polls that was done through the EFAI is that only three, 23% of current League of Ireland players have a third level qualification, which is crazy. And I think 25% of them only have a, a junior cert, they don't even have a leaving cert. But he, he said that, you know, that the attitude to education in this country has changed, you know, so, so much in the last 10 years, but still a long way to go. He spoke about himself getting into teaching. His manager at the time, I think it's saying Pat's Liam Buckley, you know, encouraged the Pat's lads to get a qualification, to go back into education and, and, you know, because football doesn't last forever and, you know, that they need to go back and do something for when this, when their career finishes in the, in the League of Ireland, which I thought was brilliant from Liam Buckley, to be fair. But he, he made a lot of sense in what he said. And for myself as the next League of Ireland footballer as well, I've actually, I would have done some. It was actually quite funny, actually, because he talked about a lot of footballers getting into gym instruction and personal training. That's exactly what I did, actually. Funny enough, I was listening to this morning on Jesus. He's talking about me there. And that's why, I started, that's why I started off doing, to be fair. Now, I actually love going to the gym, believe it or not. Even when I was playing League of Ireland, I'd love it. I'd be in it all the time. So it was actually a career that I liked. But I've actually got out of it myself and got into teaching as well. So everything he, he said made perfect sense and was very true. So I, I just loved that topic. Yeah, it was, Sorry, a, it was brilliant. I yeah, it was a great chat. Brilliant. And I thought as well that, I mean, there was a lot of people that I would hope that would listen to that and who've got uh, kids at their own with high aspirations and that's, that's brilliant and let them, let them pursue them. But also they have to underpin it with education because it's just so, so hard and so difficult to make a good living or any kind of living out of this, out of this sport. Um, yeah. with everything from ability or opportunities to injury that you have to have something to fall back on. So he was so passionate and he spoke so well about it. And he spoke about, he was very open and honest, which was great, yeah. even about his own struggles. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I'll just on that, Mark, um, maybe one of the good things to come out of Brexit now is kids might stay longer in Ireland and they might get their education now. So yeah. that's one yeah. of the good hopes from Brexit. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it's, it's good to see clubs now starting to align themselves, you know, with third level institutions and, and offering players opportunities to get in on scholarships and into courses and and that's very very encouraging and and not just if you're a footballer but a young person in general it's it's good advice for life to try and get yourself set up and qualified in, in whatever field you choose to go down so yeah definitely one again i think we'll revisit lots of things i think we'll talk about in the future as well but 
So moving on, we, we had a very special episode uh, in episode seven, uh, where we were very fortunate to have Celtic legend Stillian Petrov and, and Aston Villa and Irish international Garrett Farley on the show. And and it took a slightly different format to our normal show, but one of my favorite chats in, in the whole series, in, in just how open and honest these guys were. And I, I really enjoyed that episode. Uh, what about you, lads? I thought it was brilliant. Again, like I mean, I put my hand up being a Celtic fanatic, having Stan Petrov on was superb. But I tell you, the big thing for me was listening to Stan Force was his um, his commitment and how mentally tough and the sacrifices that he made at an early age. And very much from an old school style of coaching and even with his father making him walk outside the car. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Like, so stuff that I don't think would be encouraged or probably not promoted nowadays. But he made no bones about what it took to succeed. Um, and also about playing up a years and playing for the first team at 16 and all like that, and about how we had to develop and learn to tough it out. So that was really, really good. Um, and both of them, even with Garrett, he talked about even um, thinking that he worked and trained her until he met an athletics coach and yeah. seeing how where they worked, which was really, really interesting. Um, I thought that was uh, the pathway that both they took and how they got there was very, very different, but they had a lot of the same characteristics and similarities. And also how they set up that player for player organization because they identified both from themselves after football what do you do your identity is going to take it away and again their emphasis just like Conan and a lot of our guests was talking about education and also learning and the ability to learn when sport is finished or what you do after so yeah absolutely superb all the always they kept their values was underpinned and all the things that they they spoke about the coaches that they worked with um, and interesting but no surprise they spoke about the relentless approach that these managers and coaches that they work at the highest level and the values and the principles they set up to succeed. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was excellent, Mark. But then, lads, moving on, uh, after that, we had episode eight and Lisa Fallon uh, joined us as a guest. Lisa has recently been appointed as as head coach down at Galway United and I always enjoy talking to Lisa. Uh, very interesting coach. Um, but what were the, the things that struck you from that episode, lads? Yeah, one of the first things that struck me, especially she speaks very well and confidently. She was excellent. Like she's really like, if you look at her football and CV, it's excellent. Like she's played at the top level in England. She coached at Chelsea. You know, then she's done opposition analysis, looking at the various teams. She co- then in the Leinster Senior League here, she coached Sheriff, mm. which is a, a real um, litmus test for you know testing ourselves in the men's game. And that yeah. was a big one. Like she, and still, still a problem with teams here probably accepting female coaches and managers. So like, she used to be referred to. The, as the physio half the time she was asked if she's the physio and various things you know and they wouldn't take her seriously you know but it's um, it's a long way to go in Ireland still with that and there's not enough female managers coaches in the game so hopefully she can other young aspiring female coaches can look up to her now and like she speaks I have to say it did really come across really well imagine in the men's game now it's a tough environment to go into so hopefully which I imagine they will all the players will respect her that reflect more on the players themselves if they don't, you know. So it's a big test for now down in Galway. They have a good setup now, and I believe they're going to have the full time football down there. So I hope she does really well now, just from listening yeah. to her now. And I think that's a great point she you has. Made, Paul. I think that's a great point you made there, Paul, about that. Like, I mean, if if people don't respect her in the dressing room, it's probably more reflection on them than it is on her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Football, yeah. Our football CV is outstanding. Yeah. On that as well, Mark. Sorry, I was just going to say on that as well. John Coffey must think an awful lot of her because. He must see something in her, do you know I mean? Because he had her down in Cork and that's where he had huge success down there. And he's after bringing her into Galway as well. And I'm just going to be a Batman here, but I think Galway win the first division this year at a canter. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I think so. And apparently, like, um, from players that I spoke to that wanted to do that, but with Cork when she was there, they said she was excellent as a coach. So hopefully she, she'll be able to bring that to Galway now as well. It must have been fairly daunting. First time for her going into a male environment. It's a real male dominated yeah. area, you know? So it took a lot of, Serious confidence now to go in there. And she seems to be doing really well and the great feedback now. So it looks good. Yeah, it's good. It's good to see. And I've, I've no doubt Lisa will do well. Um, no doubt. So look, um, on from that, we're coming towards the end of series one. Uh, our second last guest was Nyla Regan, uh, the head of Coach Ed uh, in the FAI. I have to say, really enjoyed chatting to Niall. He's a progressive guy. And uh, I think an awful lot of stuff in the Coach Ed department has improved over the last number of years. And it's interesting to hear uh, the plans that are kind of in place for now and into the future on that. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed chatting to Niall. What were your thoughts on that, lads? I think it's interesting as well that the, the route that they're going on about education and uh, Listen, the more educated coaches that we have in Ireland, the better, I hope. Um, so, yeah, 
something that they're making big strides in. I would say. Cool. And then the last episode, just the, the most recent one, episode ten, and uh, we were fortunate enough to have Adrian Harvey, a, a new friend of the show, uh, the head coach at Bristol Rovers, on. And we've talked to Adi a couple of times now, uh, both on the podcast and and off it. He's just a decent guy, and he's a, he's a clever guy, and I, I just like his approach uh, to coaching. So, what were your your key takeaways from from that episode? Uh, he he immensely impressed me. I just I love how he talks, the language that he uses. I love the message that he gets out. Um, I'm very impressed um, at a club like Bristol uh, Rovers, like the academy structure. Um, and how he's how they're really changing what they do and the support that they get from the English FA. Also, the fact that I, what I really read more about Adrian, about he continuously goes off to re-educate himself and doing different courses outside of football as well. Um, and he's done some stuff at Wales FA and a couple uh, and some of the colleges. Um, so yeah, someone I think that that will probably go very far in the game, given um, his appetite to improve and his attitude towards constant learning. So yeah, really, really good guy and someone who's invited himself to a barbecue over here. So we look forward to having that with him as well. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for that. I, I think we should invite all our guests to the that'd barbecue. Be some, that'd be some barbecue. That, that, that would be so crack. <laughs> well, look, that, that was our guest. And I listen, you, you know, guys, they were all, we, we've a load of people that we've been in touch with and have lined up for future episodes. But the, the first 10 people on, you know, couldn't have been better. They were so, what, what struck me about all of them was one, how engaging they were and how honest they were and very willing to chat about you know openly and honestly about their their working careers and stuff outside of work in terms of what they all do in their downtime and but what struck me with all of them is that you know that continued commitment to learn keep pushing themselves outside of their own comfort zones to look outside of their their field of expertise for other inspiration and learnings and and their willingness to share them you know, and I, I just thought that really struck me with everybody. And, you know, with people like that behind what's going on in, in coaching, both in Ireland and beyond, I, I think the game is in a good place. So, yeah, look, um, the, the first 10 guests, my thanks, our, our thanks to all of them. Uh, they really made Series 1 very special for us. And we look forward to chatting to more people like that in, in Series 2. It's interesting, Gab. Like, I mean, uh, just for the wrap-up, I went back and listened to all the all the pods again. And every one of them, from the guests, you pick up something. And the per- perfect example was um, was uh, Mick at the very start in the bounce game. Like The amount of yeah. interactions we had on social media and Twitter from people talking about bounce games, what's a bounce game? Like, I mean, there's just so much that you can pick up from these guys, which is what we wanted from from this podcast. Like when you set it up and we, we all got involved. It's like, it's again, we're very lucky, as you said, that the, these guys are all very open and honest. And that's what we hope to push forward for and get better with as we as we get the next 10. Ah, listen, Mark, that, that's exactly it. And like I, I've often said that, you know, in, in your casual conversations with your friends and coaches and people, you pick up stuff if you're open and willing to listen and, and try out new things. But it's just great to hear people from all their various fields and a lot of them at the top of their game you know, saying the same types of things that they are open to learn and they are willing to to keep pushing. And so that, that's been brilliant. So yeah, that, that certainly was a, an overarching kind of guest highlight for me, just how much we all picked up from them and each other over the, over the course of the first series. So, so look, uh, moving on, uh, we had our coaches war chest where every week uh, we would try and give information and resources and ideas for people to check out. Uh, I think we wore people out with the books, Mark, over the, over <laughs> yeah. the 10 episodes but in fairness, there was some absolutely brilliant things suggested. So what were your own kind of key highlights in terms of the, the war chest over the series? Um, there were so many, but um, and, and it was great that I got people uh, actually looking for, for stuff outside of what they would normally do. My own personal, What Drives Winning, those books and, uh, and workbooks that were uh, from a couple of guys out in the States that work in colleges and universities there with, with the best of the best in so many different sports. That was a great, that was a great set of uh, resources. The Last Dance documentary that we spoke about very early on, which still I go back to, and I found some podcasts with people that were involved in it. The documentary about Maradona and Tiger Woods were excellent as well. Um, some of the books by um, John Wooden, which are fantastic around leadership. I could go on all day, but yeah. they were the ones that, um, that, that, kind of, that I still keep going back to time and time again. Um, and some of the some of the stuff like on Netflix, like Last Chance You, which is gives you a snapshot of what some of the good and some of the not so good way of coaches behave. That's a good point, actually, because uh, just on the the not so good, because it's great to watch stuff and read stuff about people who are brilliant at what they do. But equally, when you see coaches and, and people performing, perhaps in ways that you mightn't agree with or are poorly, and you, you can also pick up as much from that, I think. 
you know, because it challenges your thinking. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I had some some key highlights myself, but what about you, lads? What jumped out at you over the series, lads? Yeah, the one that Mark just touched on it there, the Maradona one for me definitely was um, a highlight. Like I watched it, Channel Four made it, and loads of unseen footage. It was basically people that haven't seen it. It's um. Maradona's moved to Napoli when he was only fairly young and fresh, but he went on to be an absolute superstar there. He led them to their first Serie A and then in 86, Argentina to the World Cup. But it was his off-the-field problems that really stood out, you know, his drug issues and mixing with the mafia and his personal issues then as well, going through the wrong circles. But the big part I took out was Maradona the person, or Diego the person, sorry, and Maradona the superstar. That was yeah. the real one that like that just stood out. That line stood out. Brilliant. He was Brilliant, real shy yeah. as Diego, kind of different man. And then Maradona, he played up to this character. It was like an out-of-body experience. He was a different person and had to lead that life. But what a player. That's the only yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you, Paul? People walk across that white line and just become totally different people. Yeah. 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 Animal, yeah. It was it was brilliant though. Great show. What about you, Will? Any any highlights from the uh, series one? Yeah, I actually loved that Maradona documentary as well. To be fair, I loved the last dance as well. The Michael Jordan, I'd seen it last year, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And actually, it was a book that Mark uh, mentioned about their legacy. I got that on Audible, and I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. So they were some of the highlights for me. Yeah, it, it would be there's some great shouts there, but it would be remiss of me, Mark, not to mention some books. We mentioned so oh. many. I just love. Will it make the boat go faster? Yeah. And, Incredible book just about um, the rowing, and um, that's so worth reading. It's finished actually Jurgen Klopp's biography as well. I don't think we mentioned it in, in the no. war chest, but no. interesting man. And I, I, I am a Liverpool fan, so I'm, I'm kind of drawn to how he goes on. But just an interesting character. I like the fact that he doesn't take himself too seriously, but he's very, very passionate about what he does. But like seriously, over the, over the course of Series 1, some of the documentaries, some of your 30 for 30 shouts, Mark, incredible from any sport well worth watching yeah certainly some of the the one of the key highlights for me was the Rutgers 50 documentary just about the the basketball tournament in uh, back in New York I think and uh, where where every summer people would just come and play and but uh, amazing what what really opened my eyes up from listening to you guys was that you can learn from anything and it doesn't have to be a sports book or a sports documentary albeit we might be drawn to them more because we're interested in sport but, you know, we've watched and listened to so many good things over the last number of months that you do pick up, if you're willing to be open-minded, you do pick up information from lots of different places. There was, so, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to throw in two other books that I keep. Yeah, yeah. I keep, I, there was one um, by uh, Damien Hughes, The Barcelona Way, which is which is a brilliant book about culture, and what they did at Barcelona, how they developed that winning culture. And similarly, in the same kind of mindset, Dynasty by Jeff Bennett, which was all about the New England Patriots with um, the greatest of all time, quarterback and Bill Benichek, the coach. Uh, so, yeah. So, Tom Brady and Bill Benichek. So, they're very, very, very good reads. Fantastic. Funny, because of you, I've started to read more and more. I am reading um, Score Takes Care of Itself at the minute, which is just a brilliant, brilliant book about Bill Welsh. But I'm starting to read a little bit more and look into a little bit more about, about what's going on in other sports like the NFL. And so I've started my, watching uh, my, aim, my aim and goal is to get Paul and William into American football. <laughs> oh, you have your work cut out there. No chance. No, no chance. chance. <laughs> Stupid sport. Did you just watch um, Drive to Survive? Did you just watch that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it yet, Paul. I know you mentioned that. It's good. Yeah, that's, that's it's excellent. That's what we always come back to. What is that, book? Formula One. Um, it's so it's actually, And it's actually just come out to Sky Documentaries now. Is it? Oh, yeah. so it's on, it's on yeah. Netflix, anyway. Netflix yeah, it's on Netflix, so they've just net, Sky it's Documentaries. Yeah. It is superb to watch. It's the insight behind it, how driven each, like, two team partners, first driver and second driver, just competing against each other. There's no, yeah. no friends in the sport. It's all individuals. Yeah, Driving to documentaries have just picked it up from Netflix, so it's actually I just seen it actually last night. Yeah, it's, it's two seasons, I think, so far. Yeah, it's very behind the scenes, everything. It's from the championships to the um, like Williams, Renault, Ferrari. It's all behind the scenes of Red Bull, and then the drivers themselves and cutthroat industry. But it's brilliant. That's really good to watch. Actually, one one I watched recently actually was the Tiger Woods one. I just thought that was brilliant from where he started out to. You know how his career went off the rails and how he came back in one two thousand and nineteen masters and just all the emotions and work and everything that went along with it. I thought that was brilliant. Really, really enjoyed that. So that's another one. Oh lads, we, we could literally talk for hours. And in fairness, Mark, some some brilliant shouts over the series. So I'm I'm still catching up on so many good things that I want to read and watch. So yep, plenty to, to keep us going. So look, uh, moving on, every week, as you know, we, we asked our guests uh, about their dream fantasy team. And we got, I thought we got some absolutely belting answers here. 
So who were your own kind of favourites in terms of the, the guest fantasy teams throughout the series? Well, I'm going to start there. Mine is, <laughs> mine is mixed, straight up. But Barcelona doesn't mean Spanish boys, tic attacker. Mine was mixed. <laughs> I can't remember. He had keeper, did he? I don't think he had a keeper, did he? Uh, that was no <laughs> need. No need. He's right. He's 100% right. Mick, I'm following you. I was between Mick. I went with um, Graham Kelly's team, actually. Okay. I was between Mick's one, but... Um, Brian Kelly's was Buffon and goals, which yeah. kind of speaks for itself. Paul McGrath, I'd like to be, put Paul McGrath in there because he's um, he world-class in his day. Messi, Xavi, and then you got the Celtic, Henrik Larsson in. So that's a pretty uh, strong five-a-side team as well. Yeah, wow. I have to say, like, I mean, there were some crackers, um, absolutely crackers. Laura Finnegan was really, really good, and Lisa Fallance. Um, the two of you guys had mentioned Mick and Graham Kelly. Yeah, but I also had, I love Stan Petrov's newer, newer. Maldini, Zidane, Kane, and the real Ronaldo. I thought that that'd be an interesting one. Yeah, Roy Kane in it, did he? Yeah. That was some side. In fairness, that you're right, man. I loved Laura Finnegan put her dad in goal. I thought that was class. Do you know what I mean? But I loved uh, 80's approach, AD Harvey's approach. He picked two teams because he was like, he said he spent about 10 hours trying to work out who to put into his teams. So he ended up making a team of people, players who just inspired him. And if I remember off the top of my head, it was uh, Schmeichel, Beresi, uh, Letizia, Henri. What else did he have in there? Letizia, yeah. What a player. It's interesting. Most of them all went old school defenders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I loved AD shout. And then AD had a stab at an Irish team, in fairness, yeah. because he well, was that, our, our first international yeah. guest. But so he's taking said, liberties. We let him have two teams near these. Other teams. We'd have to get that tighter now for next year. For <laughs> amateurs around your five aside. I tell you what, would be good for season two, lads. I'll, I'll get your fantasy five aside teams. I think that'd be good shape. I, I think we'd have some good teams there, Willie. Well, three of them here, three of the lads here would be on mine. Yeah. Cheers, Mark. Paul, 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 Paul McGrath. <laughs> Paul, Paul McGrath is on mine. So I'll only be picking a four aside team because McGrath is just. <laughs> Yeah, any team that. that I will ever pick. <laughs> and I, won't, I won't be having any goalkeeper. Don't see the need. No okay. Celtic players in yours, Mark. No, Jesus, you're joking me. He, he wouldn't be able to pick a side then. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, uh, that, aside from the five-a-side teams, that was a key highlight of Series 1. Mark trying not to talk about Celtic on every episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's, on the edit, that's on the edit real floor, is it? There's two hours of edits. Yeah. Celtic. Oh, and, yeah. and most of it was actually tears. Considering the shit season we've had. <laughs> well, listen, boys, I, I tell you, it's been great even just reminiscing and chatting about, because we started, I think, in October, November time. So, like, all of a sudden, you know, six months have passed, but it's been really good fun. Look, we, as you know, we're mates. We would chat about football fairly regularly anyway. This has just been a different way of doing it, but it's been really, really interesting and just so engaging listening to you guys. And as Willie said earlier, you pick something new up all the time when you're talking to people, you know? Um, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So look, all it remains for me to, uh, to do is one, thank Mark, Paul, Willie and Mick for their contributions for season one. I couldn't have done this without you. It's been absolutely brilliant. Then just to thank our guests, everyone that we've mentioned uh, today in the wrap-up, we really, really appreciate you coming on again. You know, the whole format of the show evolved because of you guys agreeing to come on. Uh, and then lastly, just to the coaches out there, and I mean the thousands of coaches who've got in touch with all kinds of messages of, of support. We really, really appreciate it. You know, ultimately, we're doing it for you guys. Hopefully, you're picking up little bits and pieces along the way. We're all off to plan the barbecue in the summer with Mark and to hunt down the hostage negotiator. And we hope to see you all back for Series 2 in April. And as we always say, when it comes to coaching, there's no right or wrong way, but there's always a better way.